Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 34. And I'm still suffering from croaky voice syndrome. But I'm delighted to say that we have a guest interviewer for this episode. And she's good. She's very good. As for the person she's interviewing, well, you'll have to make up your own mind. Brace yourself for tales of Istanbul, the Velvet Underground and hot rum cows. Plus various observations on marketing. And don't worry, normal service resumes next time. Hi there, it's Sue Stockdale here, host of Access to Inspiration. And today I'm turning the tables on podcast host Fraser Allen, who does the Scottish Business Network podcasts. Welcome, Fraser. Hello. Well, I understand you've just sold your business after Mm -hmm. running it for 18 years. How does that feel? Um, Strange. Uh, Good, you know, kind of liberating. 18 years is quite a... It's a long time, you know, the, the, the things have changed hugely from when I started the business in terms of the marketplace, um, the industry generally, and you go through various cycles running a business, um, good times, bad times, um, and, and different cycles of the, the, the team that you hire and so on, and I think when you've done that a certain number of times, you, you can get a bit jaded, and I just was beginning to feel it was time to step away and do something different and get back to my my true love which is which is writing and working one-to-one with clients fantastic well we're going to take you right back to the start as they say to find out how you originally got that love and where it came Mm -hmm. from so tell us about where you were brought up and how what got you interested in communication well i was uh i was despite my accent i was actually born in scotland so i uh, near near st andrews My, my father was worked in the motor trade though he was from Dundee, and we moved down to kind of rural Essex, Hertfordshire. Very nice place to, to grow up. Um, and from an early stage, I, I remember my, my parents said I could have a comic um, on, a, on a Saturday. And, and I fell in love with print immediately. I loved the, the stories, the, the smell of the ink, um, just everything about it I loved. And my dad used to get the Daily Telegraph through the, the letterbox every day and at a very young age I just found this fascinating I would read quite avidly the, the sport but also the, the politics and international affairs and so from an early age I decided that I really want to be a journalist that's what I was going to do and I even launched my own magazine when I was about 14 which was awful it was called The Alternative Voice it was kind of a mixture of schoolboy politics and awful carry-on type smut but I persuaded the school librarian to print uh, a lot of copies of this magazine every month and I sold them in the, in the school playground and, uh, and made a profit, which has not always been true of my publishing ventures. So you're an entrepreneur at heart then as well as a journalist? Well, I, I, I suppose so. I'm, I'm not, never been sure I'm much of an entrepreneur, but I'm certainly a, um, been very much a, a business owner. I know, I know a lot from that perspective, yeah. So I, I know you've been doing the Scottish Business Network podcast for a number of years, mm. and you're obviously your business is in, has been in the marketing and communications business. So with that interest in journalism and in magazines and print, mm. what took you from your bedroom to running a business? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll give the short version, but I, I immediately sort of hopped. I went to Aberdeen University, did English, and... All I wanted to do was work in magazines in particular. Um, so I, I joined a company called William Reads, which was based in um, 
in, in central London. And this was still the golden age of magazine publishing. So there was a lot of money washing about. I was given that. I was sent on a course at the London College of Printing for six weeks, which they paid for. I was given a company car and a, a, a like a shell card with unlimited um, allowance to spend money on petrol. So go away the weekend. It was all very exciting. And I was really well taught by my... Um, the, the senior members of the team there who were great, took me under their wing, taught me a lot about how to, to write properly instead of the schoolboy essays that I started with. And I then, I then went off and I, did, I spent a year in um, Istanbul next working as a newspaper uh, reporter, which put quite a few hairs on my chest. I got a, a warrant for my arrest uh, issued by the Turkish army at one point and it was all rather harrowing. I still have kind of flashbacks to uh, Midnight Express. But I had a great time there, came back, worked for um, Haymarket Media, which is Michael Heseltine's group, and then um, then I decided to move more into marketing, and I joined Chime Community... Well, I initially joined a company called Brass Tax, which is one of the pioneers of contract publishing, and um, became an editorial director, so I was working over some, some pretty big projects, launching magazines for people like... Um, the, the Royal Mail, Scottish Power, British Gas, doing a lot of work with Summerfield. Um, company got acquired by Chime Communications, which is was Tim Bell's yeah. PR company. He was Margaret Thatcher's spin doctor, a controversial character who, uh, who passed away last year. Um, I didn't hugely enjoy working in that environment, to be honest, but I pressed on with it for a, for a little while. And then I decided I wanted to use everything I'd learned to launch my own business. So I did that in Edinburgh in 2001 with a good friend and colleague of mine called Alan Lennon, who was a designer. And it was just two of us. We decided to set up, effectively, um, a customer magazine publishing business, which is how we, how we started. So going from reading those comics in your bedroom to actually creating, perhaps one might even say comics for business. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, we, we felt there was a big gap in the market in Scotland. Um, I, by that point, I was living in Scotland, but spending nearly all of my working life in London and, and Bristol, and I really wanted to, to live properly in Scotland. But there seemed a lack of agencies who could produce really well-written content and, and design it really thoughtfully and really, really carefully. So we managed to we made a great start and won some big big contracts. Um, the the story behind the name of we we spent about. The, when you start a business, there's all kinds of really important things to do, but we didn't do any of them. We spent two days deciding what to call ourselves um, and uh, drinking lots of coffee and then going to the pub. Um, but we decided to name ourselves after the Velvet Underground song, White Light, White Heat, Yeah. Um, which is quite an edgy underground song. We wanted to be really dangerous, cutting edge, you know. Um, and then... After about a few weeks, a few months, when we started picking up some decent clients, we realised that this wasn't really working out too well because our first clients were um, cooperative funeral services, um, <laughs> Scottish widows and National Health Service. Um, so we kind of ditched all that kind of edgy stuff, um, realising that Edinburgh is a, a big centre for the public sector and for financial services and really focused on that in the, in the first few years. Uh, and if I'm right in understanding that that perhaps edginess came out in a magazine later on called Hot Rum Cow? Yeah, that's right. Um, we were, by that point, we'd, we'd grown quite well, we are doing well, um, but and we were spending a lot of time pitching to the public sector. I um, became very frustrated with the way the procurement process had become just so expensive to, to tackle, um, and we were wasting so much time on it that I decided, rather, you know, perhaps rather rashly, to, to launch 
instead launch something that would show to a broad audience how creative we could be. Um, and so we had various ideas in the company of what to launch a magazine about. Um, and but I really thought booze was the, the way to go. People always drink booze, whatever the economic cycle, and there's, there weren't that many good magazines around. So we launched Hot Rum Cow, which was all about adventures in the world of drinking, and the team produced this fantastic uh, publication, beautifully designed, really well written, 100 pages. We got it in really nice shops all over the world. It was stocked in the um, Museum of Modern Art in New York, for instance, and, uh, and it did change perceptions about what we were capable of and led to some, some really good contracts for us. So you showcased your skills through that publication. Yeah, that's right. And that edginess then yeah. came out. Now, you talked about drinking there, Fraser, and, and I, if I'm not mistaken, that I should be paying attention to the 16th of May as an important day with regards to drinking. Well, the third Saturday of May every year is World Whiskey Day. That is uh, very much the case. And as a result of... There were various side effects of Hot Rum Cow, um, uh, one of which was uh, we've got... Uh, loads and loads of booze in the wildlife office sent to us by very kind people around the world um, but also I came into contact with a very bright young guy called Blair Bowman who uh, when he was only uh, 19 he noticed that there were world days for just about everything uh, hamsters, cabbages, you name it but not whiskey which was really odd so he set up World Whiskey Day he bought about 17 different domains around that name chose a date and um, through Facebook said this is World Whiskey Day, so if, you, if you're interested in whiskey at all, join in on the day, have a drink, post something on, on social media, and it took off big time. A huge Hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, particularly younger drinkers, getting involved in this. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a long story, but I got to know Blair quite well, and it became too big for him, and I acquired World Whiskey Day from him uh, in 2015, but Blair's still very much uh, on board with that. And it's been a really fun social, global social media project in which brands um, participate with us. You know, they, they basically pay and we help them get their message across to, to the audience, on, particularly on the day. So it sounds like you're able to combine your perhaps edginess and interest in being creative with the design element alongside the business with those two things that you described, the magazine and the World Whiskey Day. Yes, um, I, I think... If looking back, I think it's fair to say that uh, I'm a, a creatively minded pe- per- person who gets very excited about all that sort of stuff, and I tended to recruit people who were a bit similar to me, which is not actually what you're really supposed to do when you run a business. Um, so the, we were ex- and still are you know, very very creative, um, and I suppose um, you know I was never going to be Richard Branson because I was always just so if somebody came along with an idea to make something look fantastic I couldn't resist it um, but you know that's I think that's part of the joy of running your own business we work with a lot of very big client projects with people like Royal Bank of Scotland Tesco Channel 4 Lloyds Banking Group Standard Life um, but if there was an opportunity to do something on the side that was also just really fun uh, that that was good and it had and it certainly brought us a lot of attention so in those 18 years of running the business, whilst you've, sounds like you've had some very successful uh, relationships with uh, big, broad, well-known brand names, 
um, and you've had that chance to, in a way, kind of work on the side on your creative projects, mm. which have been no less successful but in a different way. What, what have you learned about running a business, you know, so from a leadership perspective over those 18 years? All, all kinds of things. Um, I mean, I, I would first of all say that I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a leader. I think there's a big thing now that everyone wants to be a leader. Um, and I think the size of business I, I, I had, I, I was very capable of leading it and, and managing it um, and organising people. I think my natural personality is not a leader or a follower at all. I'm probably somebody who sits on the, the sidelines and observes what's going on uh, and, and makes up my own man, mind about the rest of the best thing to do. Um, but, you know, obviously, if you run a business, you've, you, you have got to lead. You've got to inspire people. You've got to persuade them that your vision of the company is, is, is worth getting um, motivated about. There's lots of, lots of things, I mean, huge amounts of advice you could pass on. I guess one thing that I'd say is, is, is always trust your instinct. I think as a leader of a business, it can be quite a lonely position, um, particularly if you're the, the, the sole owner-manager. And it can be a bit easy to come to a, a tricky decision to kind of go pick up the flow of what people in your business think should be done. Um, and that's a really slippery slope. And uh, it's, so it's very important, I think, to stick by your instincts because you, you know the bigger picture. You know what the financial position of the company is, what other factors are that people may not be aware of. And you have to kind of stick by your guns and go with what you know is right for the business. So in addition to trusting your instincts, what else is important about trust that you've learned? About well, trust is is essential. You only have to look at um, you know what happened to the banking sector in, in two thousand eight. I mean, the, there was barely a sector more trusted than banks up until then, and then they just lost it. And there is no there is no way back now. Really, I don't think they, they because of the financial position there it's very difficult, particularly for people like you know the, the big brands to to regain the trust levels that they had. Um, I think it's a big issue in the marketing sector as well because we're in this uh, era now where everybody, all brands and agencies as well, are gathering data about everybody. Uh, there's huge amounts of stuff stored about Sue Stockdale on servers all over the world. And we have to be really careful with that because if people feel that they're being exploited um, and are monitored and stalked by brands, they're going to feel increasingly... Um, unhappy about that and that, that any level of trust will be broken so I think that's a big responsibility for brands and one that agencies have to be really careful with as well they don't push brands into doing things they'll regret. So along with trust being an important part of how a, what a brand stands for in, in a way I'm imagining that it's not been plain sailing over those 18 years so maybe there's been things that haven't worked out yeah. so what, what would you say either what have been some of those obstacles and challenges and also, what have you learned from any mistakes or obstacles that you've faced? Um, yeah, of course, many, many ups and downs there's, um, that you have. I mean, the, the first, they, they say that when you, you um, start a business, you know, it's often, if you, if you get off the ground, if you make it through the first two years, you then have this nice kind of, I'm, I'm doing miming here, which is not very good for a podcast, <laughs> but it kind of goes up upwards in a steady curve yeah. until you hit something that I think was once described to me as the, the wall of pain, where something happens uh, it could be exterior so with us it was a combination of the crash happening in 2008 uh, we were working mainly in public sector and financial services the worst two places to be in then uh, and also my uh, original business partner left at that point um, so I was buying him out and we agreed that 
just before the banks crashed, and so trying to fund that was a uh, was awful. Um, and this subsequent dips. I think one of the things I've learned is that um, things are are never as as good as they seem, and they're never as bad as they seem. Uh, and I think if you run a business, you have to be fairly level-headed because if you just very emotionally follow the the curve of your company, you can get really overexcited when things are good and you know you're winning loads of contracts and the money's flying in. Also, I mean, you, you could hit rock bottom so easily if if you if you look at the business and you've had a bad couple of weeks and um, cash flow is not good or maybe you've got some issues. Uh, worried about losing a couple of contracts or something. So I think I think that's something you just have to always keep keep things in proportion. And the other big thing is I would say is 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 keep learning, learn from your mistakes. There is a charming curiosity of a building in Edinburgh's West End called the Library of Mistakes, which was set up by Professor Russell Napier, um, who was alarmed that a lot of the, the people in financial services that had made the mistakes that contributed towards the crash in 2008 were making those mistakes all over again. Nobody had learned from the, the lessons. So he set up this beautiful library, which is, is wonderfully designed. So it's a free public library uh, full of now nearly 4,000 books covering mainly business and finance, but all kinds of other things. And it's a franchise. It's a global movement now. So he's set up uh, one in India, one in Switzerland, there's going to be one in London soon, one in New York. And it's all about encouraging the world to learn from the mistakes we've made in the past, which I think as humans we often fail to do. And that's something certainly in my, um, I would urge any business person to do, any agency to do before plunging straight into some big project. Just step back and have a think about how people have tackled that in the past, the mistakes they've made and the way they've managed to, to do it well. So it seems like that role of observer, which is kind of how you described yourself earlier, Mm. standing on the sidelines, watching things Mm -hmm. within the business happen, that that role of observer is quite a key role for anybody leading a business to take on occasionally. Well, I I, I suppose because that comes naturally to me, I think that is is very true. And I think somebody who's just very, has a very firm view on where they should be going as a really strong leader may not necessarily might perhaps overlook that the importance of, of doing that but yeah I think so. I think with um, with if you're running a client based agency um, and it's just you know it's a relatively small number but very valuable clients you really need to do that you need to get right you need to put yourself in their shoes you need to forget any kind of prima donna esque type behaviour um, and just totally think of uh, the world through their eyes get on their side um, because otherwise um, you know you, you just you're not going to develop that relationship you need to be providing a service rather than just punting them a product so it's not about just what you've got on the shelf it's about actually really listening to customer needs yeah it is and it, it's about understanding that they they may not be you know they may not have worked in marketing or design for 20, 30 years, but they know loads of things that you don't about finance or B2B or whatever it may be. It's about learning learning from each other. So as you were in your business for 18 years, Fraser, what what was the motivation then to go, as they might say, back to the tools and to, to sell the business on? Um, I just, I, I, about two, two or three years ago, I mean, I'd always been told, I'd worked with various business coaches and told you are the owner of the business, you need to sit on top of the business and the business should operate and you should be in charge of, you should be doing strategy, networking, just steering the company forward. 
and that's all very well. But uh, you know, I I ended up a couple of years ago for various reasons starting doing a bit more writing with with a couple of clients again, and I just realised that's what I really love. I, I love that. I love having a proper relationship with the client rather than being kind of one step removed and tackle. Uh, quite complex jobs, particularly in areas like B2B and finance, really dry topics, and I love bringing them to life uh, for the audience, whether it's uh, external, whether it's employees, stakeholders. And that's where I get my, my kicks, I suppose. I want to just turn the focus now of attention onto the Scottish Business Network podcast mm-hmm. that you've been recording. As we're speaking, I know you've recorded over 30 episodes to date speaking to a wide cross-section of the business community of people in Scotland. I'm wondering if you could reflect or characterise on, on what you've learned about Scottish business people over the course of recording these podcasts. If you meet up, particularly if it's in a, kind of quite, a quiet room with, with somebody who's normally really busy, has got loads of responsibilities, and they just have a chance to kind of open up and just talk about themselves for half an hour, three quarters of an hour, um, it's usually really interesting because... It gives them a chance to reflect on their life, what led them to be, you know, that child who wanted to be a aircraft pilot or something has now ended up as the CEO or whatever, and draw the connections all the way through and just look at some of the... Also, you know, we've talked about mistakes. Some of the mistakes that they've made is often very interesting and what they've, what they've learned from that. Um, so I, I think you can't really go too far wrong. If somebody's willing to be interviewed... Uh, and they've done a lot professionally. They've always got some stories to tell, um, and there are some cracking stories in the in the podcast, including the interview with you. <laughs> well, thank thank you for that, Fraser. I, I guess I'm wondering is there is there any commonality in terms of the Scottishness element, the cultural background, perhaps, that uh, has that certain degree of commonality amongst everybody you've interviewed. I would struggle to identify that. I think because we have quite a, it's quite a broad church, the Scottish Business Network, so it's welcoming to people who, um, who live in Scotland, who work in Scotland, who who've, are from Scotland but have moved elsewhere. Um, you know, there's all kinds, as you can tell from me, there's all kinds of accents that you will hear at a Scottish Business Network uh, meeting and all, all sorts of backgrounds. So um, I, I don't know. I, 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 you, you could draw some cheesy sort of um, suggestions that there's something to do with the Scottish uh, nature of being quite uh, um, sort of determined and so on. And um, but I, I think the people I interview tend to be um, just just really interesting, dynamic people who are actually quite open to admitting uh, their faults as well. So a bit of humility it seems to be a common thread, perhaps. Yes, that is very true. Yes. Now, now that you're uh, uh, running your own business, having mm. sold White Light Media, I'm imagining, perhaps I'm wrong, that you'll have a lot more free time to do things, indulge in passions and things that you <laughs> haven't perhaps taken on for a while. So how, how do you spend your time outside of work? Um, well, I, I do love um, the outdoors. I live in the, the countryside with my wife and daughter in the East Lothian and uh, love just being out in the Lammermuir Hills and the beach and stuff like that. I, I've done a, a fair bit of running in recent years. Um, um, I, I'm do, doing a thing this year, which is the um, Thames Path Challenge, which is a 60-mile... Um, well, some people run the whole thing. I don't. I'll, I'll be running and walking it. And last year I did it, but I, I did it over two days, but this year I'm determined to do the whole thing in one one go. So I love all that sort of stuff. Um, 
and music. I've just been away up in St Monans for the weekend with an old... Actually, the guy that I started White Light Media with all those years ago, because one thing we've got in common is a love of, of music, and we write songs together. So we were in this little cottage by the sea, making a terrible racket and drinking far too much wine, but it was good fun. Does that mean we've got some new songs to look forward to? There are the some new songs in the pipeline, yes. <laughs> so your creative spirit comes out no matter what. Yes, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> So as we close our conversation, Fraser, I'm wondering what your watchwords are for, for 2020. Thinking ahead for this year coming, what, what are the things that are going to be in the front of your mind to keep you focused? I, I'm just looking forward to this year just with a, a kind of sense of freedom. I mean, you know, I've been very fortunate with my business to date and I had a brilliant time with a really, really strong team. But I'm, I'm just looking forward to, to doing lots of writing, meeting new clients, just being out and about and spending less time sitting behind a laptop, um, dealing with the sort of kind of red tape that you need to do when, you, when you're running a business. Um, you know, I'm sure Mrs. Allen, if she's listening to this uh, podcast, she might be thinking, well, maybe you should have some financial targets that you should be assuring, reassuring me with. But don't worry, it's all going to be fine. One of the things that it certainly is important from my understanding about marketing, Fraser, is about really having that kind of sense of identity, brand identity. Yeah. And uh, linked to that, you know, the ability for a business to establish and communicate who it is. Mm-hmm. So if I was asking you to be describing you and what you stand for, what would be the three words that would describe you most effectively? Um, well, it's got, to be, it's, it's got to be words because that is what it, it comes down to with me. I, I can really help brands communicate through, through getting those, those words across. I, I, I would like to say warmth, partly because it's very warm in this room at the moment. But um, I, I've always believed it's really important to be very warm towards your, your clients, get in, in, inside their, their minds and be on their side, you know, look out for them, help them. And the third word, I'd love it to begin with W, but it doesn't. It's, and it's going to sound a little bit daft as well, but it's, it's actually fun. I think that's a really important part of any working relationship, particularly a creative working relationship. I've been very fortunate to take um, three clients that I've been working with at White Light with me, uh, who've, who've started with my new business, Fraser Allen, Allen Communications, by the way, is the name of the business. Um, and they're all, they, they work in, in business and finance, but they're just really fun people. And it's amazing what you can do as a, as a creative, as a writer, working with a client. If you've, if you've got a sense of humour, a willingness to kind of think about things a bit differently and come up with some really great ideas. And that's how you create content that is, is really interesting and sits, makes people sit up and, and take notice. Well, it's been a lot of fun having the conversation with you this afternoon, Fraser. So I really hope that Fraser Allen Communications goes from strength to strength. And uh, I hope that the listeners enjoy hearing from you on the other side of the table this time. Thanks very much, Sue. Indeed, many thanks to Sue. And I am indeed now available to help clients of all sizes bring their brands to life through smart marketing strategies and compelling, intelligent copy that will make your target audience sit up and take notice. Thought leadership, white papers, web content, social media, publications, podcasts, videos, speech writing, live events, and much more. More information is available at alancoms.co.uk. That's Alan with an E. Thanks for listening. I'm off to have a lemsip. Bye-bye. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.